because we now have the Cinema Giant! Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cinema Judge. To all my regulars out there, welcome back. And if you're new to the show, welcome aboard. Now today, we just don't have a movie. It's a film. And I know that sounds pretentious, but that's what this is. There's movies, and then there's film. Oppenheimer. This is a big, powerful movie that you really need to see. Well, you don't cash and say need to see. But if you're a fan of big, epic well-made films with great acting, incredibly written in history, Oppenheimer is the perfect movie for you. It's three hours long, but it doesn't feel like it. Oppenheimer is directed by Christopher Nolan and stars pretty much almost everybody who's somebody who's somebody. Cillian Murphy from Peaky Blinders, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Kenneth Branagh, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. This movie has everybody because it's that good. And if you don't know what the story is, this is a brief synopsis. Oppenheimer is a story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer in his role in developing the atomic bomb. So here's a trailer for Oppenheimer. This is a national emergency. Detonator's charged. against the Nazis. And I know what it means if the Nazis have a bomb. They have a 12-month head start. 18. How could you possibly know that? We've got one hope. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. Secret laboratory. Keep everyone there until it's done. Let's go recruit some scientists. Build a town, build it fast. If we don't let scientists bring their families, we'll never get the best. Why would we go to the middle of nowhere for who knows how long? Why? Why? How about because this is the most important thing that ever happened in the history of the world? You're the great improviser, but this... you can't do in your head. Are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button, we destroy the world? Chances are near zero. Near zero. What do you want from theory alone? Zero would be nice. This is a matter of life and death. I can perform this miracle. World War II would be over. Our boys would come home. That's happening, isn't it? The world will remember this day. Our work here will ensure a peace mankind has never seen. Until somebody builds a bigger one. You are the man who gave them the power to destroy themselves. And the world is not prepared. Truman needs to know what's next. Two. What's next? One. And I am not overselling this movie. If you haven't seen it, I definitely encourage you to give it a shot. Hopefully in the theaters, but even if you can't do that, when it comes out for whatever way that comes out on, truly see this film. It's amazing. And up first, we're going to have an interview with Christopher Nolan and then Cillian Murphy. But in case you are unfamiliar with the incredible work of Christopher Nolan, let me just give a brief breakdown of some of his movies. This is just be just a couple that he directed. 2020, Tenet. 2017, 
Dunkirk, 2014, Interstellar, The Dark Knight, Inception, and one of my favorite movies that he made, Memento. If you've never seen Memento, I tell you what, that movie was incredible. I remember seeing that in the theater, and I remember walking out. I was like, I, I could barely walk. I was felt almost drunk because I was so engrossed in that film. I was just like, I had to put my hands on the wall, kind of like when I was walking out going, oh my goodness, I was just pulled in and it, it was just insane. But that's just some of his work. You need to look into his stuff because <laughs> his directing, his writing, everything he does, sheer magic. Now, first we're going to hear from him. He's going to talk about why he wanted to do this film. And then we're going to hear from Cillian Murphy, who plays Oppenheimer. And he talks a little bit more about that too, about the importance of this role and just why he wanted to make it, just stuff like that. And then immediately after that, we're going to have a little featurette. And now in this featurette, the movie studio, they send me these little pre-packaged mini commercials that talk about one particular subject. And they sent me several of them on this movie. And his first one deals with the Trinity test and what it was and everything involved. So you're going to hear from the people involved, from the director, actors, and so on. And I just want to give you a brief heads up. During these several of these featurettes that I'll play through the show, some of the things you'll hear, you'll hear them repeat because they, they could stand alone. So they kind of have to talk about the same guidelines from the very beginning. So you're going to hear some of the stuff, many parts of these things repeated, but that doesn't matter. These are incredibly informative. I didn't edit them together. They're given to me to say, here it is talking about that. And a little bit after that, I'll tell you where you could watch the TV version of this. Because listening to the stuff is really cool, but watching all the behind the scenes stuff, it's really amazing. So first director, Cillian Murphy, and that first featurette about the Trinity test. Oppenheimer's story is as, as big and dramatic a story as, as I know of. And so I wanted to put it on the biggest screens possible and get it out there to as many people as possible. His story... Um, affects all of us. His actions, for better or for worse, have defined the world we continue to live in. Uh, and so getting his story out there on the biggest screens possible to the widest audience, uh, that was really the ambition for the project. You know, there's a universality to it that people connect with. It. People understand the themes that are in this movie. And, you know, there's big questions being, being, being asked of the audience. There's no answers being given, which I think is, is excellent filmmaking always but you know it's also it, it, it's it's got it's like it's, it's like a thriller it's a, it's a love story it's, to me there's elements of horror in there as well you know for sure um so that just resonates w with an audience and i think the period setting however familiar or, or not you may be with what happened in 45 i think you'll just be wrapped up in it the movie grabs you by the throat like from the beginning and and like you you just don't take a breath, I think, from, from start to finish, really. Because we are now living in a nuclear age because of what happened then. I mean, he did change the world, you know, and that, and that, that event changed the world forever. We were living with the fallout of that ever since, you know. The world will remember this day. The Trinity test and the revelation of the first atomic explosion to the world was one of the most important moments in the 20th century. It was a massive, miraculous project that many thousands of people were involved with. It touched government, it touched science, it had huge ramifications for all sorts of ordinary people. The Trinity test and the development and the race and the fact that it was all attempting to save kind of humanity from fascism. World War II would be over. Our boys would come home. This is a matter of life and death. But I can perform this miracle. What was really interesting was going back and trying to understand what these guys were thinking and the terrible decisions that were placed in front of them. I don't know if we can be trusted with such a weapon, but I know the Nazis can. We live in the world that we live in because of what happened at Los Alamos. Why would we go to the middle of nowhere for who knows how long? How about because this is the most important thing to ever happen in the history of the world? All through humanity, we've been blinded by ambition and pursuit, and then the ramifications are something else. It's happening, isn't it? I think that's why it's so 
bizarre and amazing that Chris is making this movie now. We're seeing parallels. It's a profoundly overwhelming experience watching it. It's not a history lesson. It's not telling people this is what you must learn from this, but I think it's very clear it can reflect back on what's happening in the world today. When I asked Chris what was interesting about why he wanted to make it, he said, I always found that very interesting that when they were doing the Trinity test. They were asked, what are the chances of this going wrong and it blowing up the entire world? Chances are near zero. Near zero. What do you want from theory alone? Zero would be nice. Didn't need a charge. What is that decision to just still go ahead and do it? It's an extraordinary moment in human history. And I wanted to take the audience into that room and be there when that button is pushed Five, and really fully bring the audience to this moment in time. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this movie is just chock full of incredible talent. And we're going to hear some people talk about that in these next coming up interviews. And I'm just going to play them side by side. I'm not going to get in the way because you're here for them. So first, you can hear from Cillian Murphy just talking about the cast. He's just like, you wake up one day, you get to be with this person, that person. He's like, it was just a, a, just insane. And then we're going to hear an interview with Emily Blunt and Matt Damon. They're sitting side by side. <laughs> it's really hilarious. They talk, they talk about how they were approached to play in this movie. And I'll, I'll just let them tell that story. And then we're going to hear from Robert Downey Jr. talking about how incredible Cillian Murphy was. And just, again, more cast members. They're going to name off these people. You're going to be like, oh, they're in it too? They're in it too? You're kidding me. And then we're going to hear from Christopher Nolan also talking about the incredible talent of Cillian Murphy and then all the other people who follow him through this movie. And then we're going to have another featurette. And now in this featurette, it's going to be talking about the cast. So it's going to be kind of them talking about the summarization with that featurette. It's a dream, really. Uh, I never imagined I'd be working with all these actors all in the one movie. I mean, I think it's one of the greatest ensembles, certain, certainly modern ensembles that Chris has put together. But that just shows you, you know, everybody wants to work with Chris, you know, and these, these actors will turn up um, because they, they love his movies, they love his writing, and... And he's an incredible director. So, yeah, it was a gift for me every day. And also, you know, when, when you when you wake up and you're, you know, one day you're doing a scene with Matt Damon, one day you're doing a scene with, you know, Ken Branner or Emily Blunt or, you know, Gary Oldman, you know, you just, uh, it's kind of electrifying. And you just got to, you got to turn up the volume on your own performance a little bit, I think, you know. We knew, because you came down to hang out with John right after Nolan had been over and met Matt and given Matt the script to read. So I knew that Matt was meeting him, and I mean, any chance any of us could get yeah, to like sure. work with him, we're all sort of champing at the bit. But what was kind of funny was that he came to, we live in the same apartment building, and so he came to see me, and he knew that he was going to Emily with, with the part, but he didn't want it to seem like he was just kind of <laughs> one-stop shop, one-stop <laughs> shopping. So he bumped into John in the in like either the elevator or the lobby, and John talked to him for a half an hour, just kind of director to director. I, you know, they're talking shop, and and Chris later admitted that he knew he was coming to Emily with the part, but he waited like it was like five days or something, yeah. <laughs> and knew she was going to be in L.A. And then she came over at, to his house and read the script. And he didn't you know. want sort of convenient casting rumors, you know, that it was like who else is in your building? Who else? Right. Start knocking else? on doors. Is Robert here. Downey in yeah. his building? Well, I was just texting with Josh Hartnett a few days ago, and um, I, I don't think he knows how good he is in the film. Obviously, you know, Matt and Emily and Florence, and I, I got to watch Rami Malek just absolutely. Sl- lay it on this one day and put my character in check. I spent many of my days with Alden Ehrenreich. He and I are now close friends. Scott Grimes was there. And it it was, it just seemed like every day was another one of my peers knocking it out of the park. And there was this kind of almost like regional theater vibe amongst all of us. Like, you know, this is who we are and this is what we do. And this is a a peak uh, experience. At the center of Oppenheimer is Killian Murphy's performance as, as Robert Oppenheimer. I worked with Killian for years, but I never had the chance to have him as the lead of one of my projects. So I was very excited to be able to call him up and say, you know, this is the one, this is where you get to 
to carry the audience through through a story, and, and it's very much a question of carrying the audience because I really wanted Oppenheimer's story to be told subjectively. I really wanted to bring the audience into his experience and and experience events as he did. Um, there's an extraordinary cast around him. Um, the film is a combination of uh, a great central performance, but also this incredible ensemble cast of Robert Downey Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, Florence Pugh, uh, and many, many more, uh, really trying to bring to life uh, the real uh, historical people who contributed to, to this amazing story that Oppenheimer was the center of, but was very much uh, a sprawling you know, team effort in the Manhattan Project, and then the global ramifications of everything that, that happened at Los Alamos. Um, you know, we needed this amazing cast to get these momentous events across. We imagine a future, and our imaginings horrify us. In the case of this film, I wrote the script in the first person. It's the only time I've done that. It made it clear to anyone who read the script that we're on this ride with Oppenheimer. It was very unusual. It took me a minute to actually comprehend. And then I realized, uh, oh, that's a huge responsibility. <laughs> I don't know if we can be trusted, but I know the Nazis can't. Killian playing Oppenheimer was the centerpiece of the film, but I knew that he was going to need the most extraordinary ensemble around him. Let's go recruit some scientists. If Chris Nolan calls you and says that he'd like to meet with you, you're like, I don't care what it is. You'd be mad to say no. <laughs> um, and uh, I, yeah, I feel like that's probably everybody's answer with this. From the second I read the script, I knew that he had a very acute vision and if he were able to render that vision, that this film would be a masterpiece. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. Keep everyone there until it's done. It feels to me like every single character is significant because they're all historical figures of consequence. There's a chance when we push that button, we destroy the world. Chances are near zero. I tried to familiarize myself with Groves and the history, and then talk to Chris about what he needed from that part. Groves was almost like a kindergarten teacher in some respects because these scientists were so eccentric and not necessarily trustworthy. I mean, if you're looking from a military perspective. Why would we go to the middle of nowhere for who knows how long? Why? How about because this is the most important thing that ever happened in the history of the world? I was aware of who Louis Strauss was. I came to have a pretty even-handed understanding of him. He was a righteous guy. I think he was a great public servant, but he's always behind the scenes. I've always appreciated the people who are backstage. Truman needs to know what's next. What's next? With Katie Oppenheimer, what I really was drawn to is she refused to conform to the sort of feminine ideal of the time. She had this defiance against the system that felt so modern. Jean Tatlock was blunt, knew what she wants, but at no point is she ever punished for that, um, and especially not by Oppenheimer. Theory will take you only so far. Oppenheimer sees things in sort of different dimensions. Physicists operate on a completely different level than we do, and I think sometimes it's a burden. So I was really interested in that. What we were looking for was a remarkably centered performance, the heart of the film, but also an ensemble piece. I was there on set every day, surrounded by a team of actors who knew more than I did about what was going on from their point of view. And that's what you're really looking for as a director. It's a profoundly moving and overwhelming experience watching it. Because you feel so compelled to watch what's happening with these people and how they're drawn into the biggest of moral dilemmas and what they're wrestling with all of the characters. With the sound design and the score and the emotionality of it, this is not a film, this is an experience. When I saw it in its finished form, I was kind of like, wow. Yeah, that's what we were hoping this could be. The world will remember this day. Now, I think it's pretty well established by this point that Christopher Nolan truly is a directing genius. Just look at his catalog of what he's been involved in. Without a doubt, the man has a gift. Up next, we're going to hear a little bit more from him. And what he talks about is, when he was researching this movie, when they were going to make the atomic bomb, there was that itsy bitsy bit of a shot that that it could just blow up the whole world. 
It could go up to the atmosphere and do whatever it does. They're smart people. I, I, you know, I don't know any of these things, but they explain it in the movie and then in this interview. And then also in the featurette we're going to play after his interview. Because in that featurette, he says that again, but then they delve into a little bit more of what they had to do to make this movie possible. And you hear from the cast members talking about they built the set very near the original site, not the original site, but near the site, the same uh, mountain range is right there, but they didn't spare any details. And that's what separates Christopher Nolan. The man doesn't just settle. He doesn't say good enough or well, this, you know, we'll just try it this way. No, he goes all in or not at all because he cares about the product and he cares about us because movies last forever and that's your legacy. And you want to put something up there that's worthy and not just slap together and went, eh, all right, we're getting paid. Don't worry about it. The man's passionate and everybody that he works with feels that and they want to be a part of it. So in that featurette, you're going to hear about building the sets and it's just fantastic. And like I said earlier, this is also a TV version. And on the TV version, you don't see or hear me at all. But if you're interested in watching these featurettes, go to bit.ly slash cinema judge bit.ly slash cinema judge because you get so much more out of it when you get to see some of the stuff and it is streaming on demand whenever you want here that stuff is i've been interested in the story of of j robert oppenheimer for some time um i really got hooked by that moment where the people working on the Manhattan Project realized that when they detonated the very first atomic device, there was a small but quantifiable possibility, just a slight chance, that in doing so they would set fire to the atmosphere and destroy the entire world. Uh, and yet they they went ahead and uh, you know pushed that button. And I wanted to take the audience into that room and be there for those kind of momentous decisions because Oppenheimer threw becoming, um, as he's termed, the father of the atomic bomb. Uh, he's one of the most important people in uh, human history. This is a national emergency. Our work here will ensure a peace mankind has never seen. The world will remember this day. This is arguably the most important story of our time. The stakes really couldn't be any higher. It's profound, but it's told in a very human way. Everything Chris Nolan has done has been a prelude to this. This is not a film. This is an experience. It is a heart-in-your-mouth thriller. I've been interested in Oppenheimer's story for a long time. At some point, I learned this key piece of information that in the lead-up to the Trinity test, they were dealing with the very small possibility that when they pushed that button, they would set fire to the atmosphere of the Earth and destroy the entire planet. And yet, they pushed that button. I wanted to take the audience into that extraordinary moment in human history. America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here, a secret laboratory. Killian playing Oppenheimer was the centerpiece of the film, but I knew that he was going to need the most extraordinary ensemble around him. Let's go recruit some scientists. The people involved in the Manhattan Project were charismatic individuals. They're very talented. The world that Oppenheimer inhabits is filled with rock star scientists. And, and I think because we have all these fantastic actors, you really buy that. It felt like I was playing sports with some of the best athletes. Every single person has come to set knowing that they have been hired because somewhere along the line, Chris thought that you did a good job. And this goes for crew as well. My preference is to always do things in camera as much as possible. It sets a big challenge for every department to actually bring the reality of a thing there for the actors. Every crew member on this film has to adjust their work for the IMAX screen. IMAX can contain 18K resolution per frame, which is by far more than any digital camera. It gets thrown up on a gigantic screen, and the moment you watch it, it's very evident. The quality is unprecedented. 
This is a story of America in the 20th century, so I think it can be painted on that big of a canvas, and what better way to do that but with IMAX cameras. Why would we go to the middle of nowhere for who knows how long? I always try to use real locations as much as possible. With location shooting or sets, the more things can just be real, the better they're going to feel to the audience. There's almost no studio work on this film. Everything is location. The sets were built in such a way that they felt incredibly authentic. We built our Los Alamos at Ghost Ranch, New Mexico, which is along the same mountain range that Los Alamos proper sits on. This was very important, and I based all of this on research. We built all of these buildings 360. We want it to feel like you are right there, you are in this, this is happening, this is real. This isn't a back lot. It's just the most transporting thing, you know, when you're there and it just looks exactly like Los Alamos 1940s must have looked, and you know that no detail has been overlooked. You know, we also shot in a huge amount of the real locations. We shot in Oppenheimer's house, in Los Alamos. We shot in Princeton. Walking through Princeton, it's really very funny because people, you know, they're walking around, they go, Shooting those scenes, playing the characters who really had versions of these events happen there, you just get a real charge out of it, you know? This is a matter of life and death. But I can perform this miracle. When you do Chris's movies, things that when you read a script you normally would think would be visual effects, you know that you're going to be doing this stuff practically. They had to film the world of quantum physics. Their whole unit was one big science project. I was daily very jealous. It's kind of back to the old days. We did a lot of experimentation. We came up with some very interesting analog methods of how to approach this, all of which was leading to the Trinity test, which had to feel nightmarish and terrifying in a way that computer graphics never really is. What we were able to get into the finished film, to me, is extraordinarily beautiful, but also very frightening. Working with this whole team was such a great camaraderie and with the commonality of, we are going to get this in camera. I love Chris's dedication to that. It really speaks to Chris and the way he directs. All of the energy goes around the camera. Like, we're all here to do the same thing. Chris makes films for theaters, for movie-going audiences. You know, so you want to see that as it's designed to be seen. Watching this very different sort of film on that big screen, it sort of makes you gasp. You're right in their experience. This is, I think, a definitive moment in the history of modern filmmaking. Do yourself a favor and go see this on as big a screen as you can. With the sound design and the score and the emotionality of it, this is an unforgettable, unmissable experience in a theater. You are the man who gave them the power to destroy themselves. We made Oppenheimer on the largest scale possible because the idea is to come and experience this. His story is monumental and epic and extraordinary. It really has to be seen on the big screen to be believed. Could you just imagine being part of any kind of production like this where it's all authentic, you're out there, it's happening, you're in a car, you're in the dust. Everything you're doing is feeling real. That has to enhance the performances in my mind. I'm no actor, so I don't know squat. Some people maybe prefer green screen or blue screen or whatever it is they put themselves into that's not real. And, those, and sometimes there's movies you need that. But going all in like this is just, you feel it. It's not just artificial. And up next, we're going to hear from Cillian Murphy, and he talks about watching this kind of movie in a theater and what kind of experience that really is. And then right after that, we're going to play a featurette. And in this featurette, they're talking more extensively about shooting on IMAX. And that's what's incredible. I just wish there was more real, real IMAXs out there. Because even though, even though at film, I think they said, you probably heard this too, is six miles long if you stretch it all out. Because, you know, the camera's so big, or not the camera, but the film. And an interesting fact in this, in order to make this movie, they had to make or invent 70 millimeter black and white film. 
he didn't want to cheap out. Like I said earlier, he could have just went into the computer and went, color correction, black and white. No, he wanted to make the black and white feel like real black and white when you look at those pictures back in the day. He didn't want to settle for going, well, that's okay. No, they invented the film because IMAX or no film uh, has ever made <laughs> black and white film that size for IMAX. So they had to invent it. I mean, how awesomeness is that? Again, it, it just raises the bar of giving a darn about the quality of the film and us. And I just wish there was more theaters out there that had that technology. And I get it. It's expensive and having people run it. It's not easy. I understand that. But I think what they say is only like 30 in the United States completely. And don't quote me on that number. I'm not saying that's right or whatever. But when I looked it up at one time, I go, I want to watch this on IMAX. Well, there wasn't anywhere in my state that I could watch it on official real 70 millimeter IMAX. But maybe one day, somehow they'll make better ones like this or or some somehow make it more accessible to people like you and me. Because I can't, I mean, it was great on the big screen that I saw it on. Magical. But I can't even imagine seeing it on real 70 millimeter film. That, that would just be mind blowing. So we're going to hear Cillian Murphy and then have them have a featurette talking about that. For me, it's the best way to experience a film is, you know, in a, in a, in a darkened space with strangers. And, you know, you, you just, there's no interruption. You know, you're, you're, you're not going to answer the door. You're not going to make a cup of tea. You're just, you're, you're invested and you paid your money. You got your snacks and you're there. And uh, there's something hugely romantic about it to me. Uh, there, al- there always will be. And I think what's extra special about this film is it's talking about the world. You know, it's really digging at, at uh, what it means to be humans and our responsibility as humans on this planet and how what we do with the power that we can harness. And, and in this case, you know, this, this extraordinary and destructive and appalling weapon. And You know, it, it, it's amazing. And, you know, I think it was Truffaut said, you know, we go to films to escape from life, but also to learn about life. And I think this is one of those great films. It does that. It entertains and it's incredibly entertaining, but it's also, you know, it makes you, makes you think. They won't fear it until they understand it. And they won't understand it until they've used it. Oppenheimer's story is one of the biggest stories imaginable. Our film tries to take you into his experience, and IMAX for me is a portal into a level of immersion that you can't get from other formats. IMAX is a format of spectacle, and it's made for vistas and for the grandeur of it, but I got very curious to discover this as an intimate format. The face is like a landscape. There's a huge complexity and a huge depth to it. How can we get this camera closer to people? How can we get this medium to work also as a very intimate medium. Chris is always pushing the boundaries and innovating with each film he does. On this one, one of the things that was really important in the script was the juxtaposition of color and black and white. I don't think Chris would be capable of doing something kind of the way everyone else does it. He kind of invented this idea of shooting in IMAX for feature film. And so you're kind of on the cutting edge of this stuff every time you work with him. How are we going to do it? Because 65 millimeter black and white was a format that didn't exist. So there was a lot of engineering that went into that. We actually had to create the black and white film that we were using to shoot. We were able to test large format black and white, put it up on a giant IMAX screen and have a look at it. And, and the results were just magical and inspiring. I was sitting in the back of a 47 Packard with an IMAX mag on my lap trying to get this driving shot. And I just felt like I went back to some origins of great cinema school because, you know, these lenses are coming at you and they're this close and it wakes you up. We've shot with IMAX many times on other movies, but watching the very different sort of film on that big screen, it sort of makes you gasp. You're right in their experience. I think it feels quite human. It feels like you are in that moment with them. You know, it's a mythic, massive story. This is an unforgettable, unmissable experience in a theatre. Chris makes films for theaters, for movie-going audiences. 
And the best, the most immersive version of that is IMAX. It gets thrown up on a gigantic screen, and the moment you watch it, it's very evident. The quality is unprecedented. 15 of IMAX 70mm is the highest quality imaging format that's ever been devised. It allows you to fully immerse yourself in the story where the audience will see this on IMAX. On the big screen, they'll be able to experience an extraordinary moment in human history. Not only is this movie visually powerful, the music equally as sensational. And the composer is Ludwig Göransson. He's a Swedish composer. Now, you might not know who he is, but you know his music. It's He did Black Panther, the Creed films, Venom, The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett, Turning Red, New Girl, Community, Central Intelligence, and so on. The man is so talented and gifted. And having him, having his fingerprints all over this, just enhances every second of this film. Because when you're watching this film, you're like, you could hear it sometimes just subtle and sometimes just right there with you. And that's the test of the guts and the oomph of any good composer. You're not supposed to overtake the film. You're not supposed to just say, hey, this is me. Forget about what you're seeing. It has to go hand in hand. And that's why Nolan has him do this. And he also worked on Tenet. The man is a beast when it comes to composing. He uses just sometimes subtleties, and the man's great. So first, we're going to hear from the red carpet, him talking about being part of this picture and what he was trying to do and what was asked of him. And then after those interviews from the red carpet, there's a featurette on him talking about that whole process. Christopher Nolan is there. He's talking about it. It's really cool. Where we started on this was uh, Chris had an idea to uh, use the violin as Oppenheimer's sound and portrayal his story. That was kind of like the only note that Chris gave me in the beginning. And, uh, you know, it was a very different experience for me to work on this movie because I'd never done anything where the music is just telling one person's point of view. You know, the, the, mu the music is coming from Oppenheimer's point of view. You're like, yeah, you're, you're, the audience is with him all the time. You know, you're, you're not judging him. You're feeling what he's feeling. So that's what the purpose of the music is in this one. Early on, one of the first things that I saw in the movie was that Chris's early experiments with the visual effects, you know, how they made some of the incredible, like, splitting of the atoms, atoms and how they made that move and how it looked. Like, I remember being in the IMAX theater and seeing those early experiments. And I was like, I was so taken back by how amazing it looked. And that's when I was in the theater, I was like, that's how I want the music to sound like. And that was the challenge, to make the music sound as cool and interesting like those images. The way that we start working is three months before we start shooting. And that's when we're in pre-production and we have meetings every week and we start sitting down. I write about 10 minutes of music every week. We listen to it and the way we kind of build the world together and then he goes around shooting the movie and he has my music in his headphones and listen to it. And so when he already had the first cut, there's already a bunch of my music in there. And, um, you know, it's, it's input... It's, it's just a very incredible, like, creative collaboration that's always a back and forth, you know. It's such a unique story, you know, um, and seeing this type of intimate but also huge story on a screen like this, like, there was some footage of, that I saw early from, from, from when they shot the movie that I never experienced in a theater. And you're sitting there and you have that big screen and you see like a like close-up of Kelly Murphy's face. And I've, I've never had that impression before. So I was like, you want to see this, you want to feel all the new feelings you haven't had before and, and you have to see it at the biggest screen possible. This is a national emergency. Detonator charge. As soon as I read the script, I'm putting the pieces together in my mind. For Oppenheimer, we had a meeting and we started talking about different approaches and different types of musical ideas. 
the film score grew very organically, very gradually from the smallest elements. And I had no preconceptions about the music for the film. Sometimes you have an idea for the soundscape of the world or the rhythm of it, and sometimes you don't. And in this case, all I had that I gave Ludwig was the idea of basing the score on the violin. There's so much in the performance of the violin, but within seconds you can go from something beautiful to something completely horrifying. And there's a tension to the sound in a way that I think fits the highly strung intellect and emotion of Robert Oppenheimer very well. And that's just the, the organic part of it. That's just the strings. And then what comes on later is the production and the synthesizers. I think every process of scoring is different if it's to be tailored correctly to the demands of a new project. And, and this was a type of film I hadn't made before, and it was a type of music that I hadn't worked with before. A lot of things you do in the beginning is about experimenting and see where you can take things. We would take his experiments and we would put them to picture and edit them and, and try different things and show it to Ludwig and he would go and bring more things to the table. Oppenheimer is a visual masterpiece. You know, I've never seen that kind of intimate portrayal of a character on IMAX. That's uh, that's a six-note Oppenheimer theme. I felt like this movie was really pushing the boundaries in so many different fields. So I wanted to see how we can do that with with music as well. I think Ludwig's work on the film is both deeply personal and historically expansive. I think it really achieves an enormous amount of the effect of drawing the audience into the emotional dilemmas of the characters. I think he's really put together a very remarkable score. Now, just full disclosure... If you watch the TV version of this, that little section isn't in it. Both his interview and that featurette. Reason why, the TV version can't be more than 29 minutes. And if I, I, couldn't, I couldn't fit it in there. I said, hey, I could do a podcast. It could be as long as I want it to be. And I really felt it was vital to have that in there. Because music is such a massive part of any movie. And you know me, I'm a massive music lover. Those are my two loves. Movies and music, and when you combine them properly, it is just electric. Now, coming up next, speaking of electric, we're going to hear from both Cillian Murphy, Emily Blunt, and Matt Damon, and they're just going to talk about the brilliance, the energy, and everything Christopher Nolan brings to this project. And you just you just hear them when they talk. You know that <laughs> they're not messing around. He is a, a master of what he does. And then after that, we're going to hear from the master himself, Christopher Nolan, just talking about the power of cinema. Well, I think he's kind of the ideal director, right? Because he's, he, 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 he writes his movies, he directs the movies, he produces the movies. Uh, he's incredible visually. Um, and he is extraordinary with actors. And it's very few... Directors have all those uh, talents in, in, in one person. Um, have I have I seen him change over the course of working with him? I guess he's become more and more confident in the sorts of stories that he to, that he wants to tell, and I think he's more and more confident in making films, um, you know, within the studio system that actually challenge the audience. And I I always love that he's presuppose the level of intelligence with the audience. He always knows that the audience are smart enough to go with him. And he never patronizes an audience. Or never, he's never prescriptive or didactic in his movies. They're always kind of a challenge to you. And you, you need to go, you need to work, you know, but the, re, the, the reward you get for the work is, is terrific. And uh, I, I've learned so, so much from him. You know, it's, it's kind of changed, you know, it's changed my life. Uh, my creative and professional life working with Chris, and uh, I hope I continue. He's got that level, uh, that attention to detail that, you know, 
Stanley Kubrick had, you know, where it's like no detail is too small. His yeah. like depth of knowledge, his research, his understanding of all the dynamics at play between all these different characters and ways to just get these ideas in succinctly, like and fit them into a movie. I mean, the, the the book that this is adapted from is like a tome and it is dense with like, I mean, the fine print. I remember it was like I needed reading glasses to even read the book. It yeah. was just very thoroughly researched. And he somehow was able to kind of get all of it into this film. Mm. But it, but what that means is that each frame is entirely packed full of information. I mean, you could watch this movie 10 times and get something different because it's just so rich and dense. Um, and he kind of, on set, I just feel his command of excellence is so vast and everyone just has to match him where he is. And I don't find Chris <laughs> exacting. I think people have used that word, and I don't find him that way. I find him really curious and interested in what you might bring or do, and you recognize he's cast you for a reason. He lets you know that, and then wants to see what wings you have, you know, and I, I love that I think he's exacting him. in some ways. I think yeah. he's exacting about some details, right? Oh, yeah, like, like he sweats the small stuff, and I want to work with a director who sweats the small stuff. I want him to see everything. But in terms of performance, you're totally free. free. You're There's totally freedom. totally free. He really wants to see and what you're going to do. such authority on set. Like, I mean, he, he, he appears to be very calm. I'm sure there is a storm of information going on inside of him, but it's all clad in this sort of quite serene uh, exterior, you yeah. know, that he's really fascinating. And he's funny. Yeah. People don't know that about Chris. He's really fun. I love him. Oppenheimer's story is, is very exciting. Uh, it's a little strange to use a word like entertainment, you know, when it comes to something as, as serious as nuclear weapons, which is what the film is dealing with. But I think cinema has always had the potential to draw people into an experience and give them this extraordinarily dramatic uh, tale, uh, following and, and seeing uh, through Oppenheimer's eyes all of the crazy paradoxical situations that he was involved with. Um, you know, we want the audience to have a very, very engaged, exciting experience watching the film uh, and hopefully on, on the biggest screen possible. I mean, seeing it on a big screen is brilliant, but like I said, it's the story that truly sings and pierces through everything. So if you cannot see it on the big screen or don't want to go to the theater, when you can see it, just see it. Because I try not to give away too many spoilers here on the show. I just want to say, here's the evidence. But this movie, there is so much story, so much drama. The characters are rich. And you just feel these the energy of, of what was going on, the gravity what they were doing. And I'd recently read an interview with Cillian Murphy where he was saying that he felt Oppenheimer was a bit naive. And at first you're thinking, wait a minute, how can he, what do you mean naive? But then when I, as I rolled around in my small mind, it made perfect sense because some of his actions after this whole event happened and what happens to his career, I'm not going to say all that happens, but this movie does take a deep dive in the complete process of beginning, middle and end in his life of how he got there and what they created and what some other people they brought in and how the government just used some people and they're thinking, Hey, this is fine. But I think sometimes when you get stuck in your mission or your, your task, you forget the long haul because the, the future goes on and then how the world will see you and every action that you do, how that's going to affect afterwards. They might overlook it, when you're creating something that they need, but a second that's over and now they're like, okay, thanks, bub. We're done. And then things could get hairy and how he handled some of these things could be construed as naive that maybe he should have stood up for himself more. He should have done this or done that because they really take a fantastic dive into investigations and people, people's stories and what people are saying about him and those performances that you see in this film are just spectacular. And watching him react to it and what everything about this and how it summons black and white and everything else, the sound, I, I could go on and on talking about this film, but it's really important that you see it, I think, because man, the dialogue, the cinematography, you name it, it just 
powerful, just incredible filmmaking at its finest. I don't, you won't regret it. Now, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, any way to improve the show, let me know. Cinemajudge at Hotmail.com or go to any of the other platforms out there. Instagram, The Cinema Judge, Threads, The Cinema Judge. I'm also on TikTok. And also, if you go to TikTok, Cinema Judge, a lot of these featurettes are on there. So if you go there, if you if you want to, don't want to go watch the TV show and complete, you could watch a few of these featurettes that I put up there. It's not the greatest quality ever. It's just me holding my camera to my laptop, but you still get the general idea if you want to see some of these featurettes. Also, if you go to the meta universe, if you ever do that meta stuff, I'm on a lot of those. If you go to Horizon Worlds, just look up Cinema Judge. I'm usually roaming around, whether it be from laser laser tag to whatever it is. There's so many fantastic worlds out there. But just look up Cinema Judge because I'll talk movies with you all day long or even TV shows. I don't care because any information you can make this make me do a better job. I'd appreciate it because I can't grow if I don't know. Because I always say any movie is somebody's favorite movie. I am not going to tell you not to see a movie. That's not our jam here to Cinema Judge. There's so much noise out there. All I want is create a movie oasis, a place where you could come and listen to one movie, get the facts, and nobody yelling at you. Because this that's not that's not what we do here. Because we all want the same thing. An enjoyable movie experience. Because we all want to spend our harder money wisely. It's really that simple. That's the point of this show. But now it's one of my favorite parts of the show. It's the shout-out part. This is where I thank all you guys who listened to my last episode. And I just love it. I hope my voice finds you well. Because I love hearing about how you listen to the show. Whether you're driving to work, sitting at home, whatever it is you're doing. And some of you might even listen to the show two weeks from now, two months from now. It doesn't matter. And you might ask yourself, hey, buddy, I listened to a lot of the old shows and I didn't hear a shout out. Well, it's just that's just impossible to track. It's just much easier to say, look at who listened to the last episode. So don't think for one iota of a second, I don't care that you listen to something from wherever time ago because I love it. I see a number. I see something like that. I'm like, yes. Somebody took time out of their life to watch this show, or I should say, listen to the show. And I just get, just giddy as I'll get out. Because, again, anything you can be doing in the world, you choose to listen to this. And don't think for one second I don't appreciate that. But when I do this, it's just for the last episode. So wherever, whenever, or whatever you're doing, this is for you. To all my listeners from the United States, Germany, Canada, Malaysia, Spain, Poland, Ireland, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Brampton, Ontario, Falls Church, Virginia, Akron, Ohio. Is it Covina, California? C-O-V-I-N-A. Parker, Colorado. Valencia, California. Coda Kimbalu Saba. Again, I'm so sorry about that, guys. But thanks for listening. Invergrove Heights, Minnesota. Pierre Part, Louisiana, Valencia, Valencia, Frankfurt AM, Maine, Hess, Highlands Ranch, Colorado, West Pomerania, Bloomington, Minnesota, Callaway County, Callaway, or sorry, sorry, Galloway County, Galloway. And that's just to name a few. I can't get, name all of them, but that's just some of them. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for listening. And if you're sharing it with your friends or family, that's awesome too. I just truly appreciate your time. But now it's time for the bourbon shout out. And I got a couple this week. First of all, I'd like to, first of all, I'd like to thank and give a shout out to Brett from Bloomington Subaru. Because these guys, I mean, him is, I mean, everybody there is top notch. I mean, he was so patient. I had to go there. I had, to, I had to ask some questions, all these things. The guy was so patient, just took his time. Not take his time, but he was thorough. And he's informative. Everything else. This guy's top notch. So if you're ever around Bloomington Subaru, talk to Brett. The guy's a, so awesome. And then the entire crew at Bovino's Brazilian Steakhouse in Bloomington. It's a brand new Brazilian steakhouse here in Bloomington, Minnesota. And I tell you what, 
The food is spectacular. The service, second to none. Informative, helpful, there, whatever, whatever you need. So if you're ever in this area or anybody around this area, go to Bovino's Brazilian Steakhouse. Incredible. I will be going back. And also, another shout out we give to Bill at the Mall of America Apple Store. I went in there just to, I was just wasting time. And we just chatted movies, talked about this movie and several others. It was awesome talking to you. So to all three of you, cheers. But now it's the music section. Now, like I say earlier in the show, and most of you know, if you listen to the show regularly, when I'm making a TV version of this, I could go all out. I'm cranking tunes. I'm just here in the basement. Me, the movie I'm working on, in tunes. And it's just, it's my happy place. If I get in the right state of mind, everything clicks. I'm just right there. But unfortunately, this week, there was a bit of a downer. And I, I mean that honestly, that in the music world, we lost an incredible voice, Sinead O'Connor. So when I was going back to this one, kind of editing it, re-editing it, doing stuff, I threw on her very first album, The Lion and the Cobra. You need to listen to that. Everybody knows her follow-up album, which was spectacular and has awesome songs on it. I do not want what I haven't got. And you know that album is boom. It has nothing compares nothing compares to you, written by Prince. And it's just tons of other tunes on there. But I first started off with The Lion and the Cobra. There are some songs on there that are just incredible. And I'll just name a few here. Jackie starts off, great album. I mean, sorry, great song. Mandica, oh man, just great. Jerusalem, just like you said it would be, never get old. Troy was just epic. If you've never heard Troy, throw that bad boy on for sure. It's just wow. Her vocal range is amazing. And I could go on, but what a great, what a great first album. And I remember when it came out, I think it was 87. I remember going to Musicland and I went there. I don't even know what I was trying to buy, but they didn't have it. And the person who was working there goes, okay, if you're looking for a really good voice and really great songs, here, here's Sinead O'Connor. And I looked at the album cover. I'm like, what? Well, I don't know. I've never heard of her. And he goes, trust me, if you don't like it, you can bring it back. So I got it. I went into my 70 Monte Carlo. I had my cassette tape in there. Threw it in there, and I remember driving like the Burger King. He's like, ah, I'm hungry. And by the time I got to Burger King, I just sat in my car and listened to it. I'm like, oh, this is insane. Her voice, the music, the, the just the soul coming out of her voice, the pain, the hurt, just the everything about that album. I was just like, oh my goodness. I was telling people about it. Like, I've never heard of her. But then when she came out with, I do not want what I haven't got. And she came out with, obviously, nothing compares to you. The whole world found her. Now, I'm not saying I was original for finding her because I didn't. Some you know, employee told me about it. And that album, obviously, just kicked massive butt and blew her into a stratosphere beyond. I mean, just listen to that album. Feel so different. Three Babies, Emperor's New Clothes, Black Boys on Mopeds, Nothing Compares to You. And one of my personal favorites on the album is The Last Day of Our Acquaintance. It starts off really soft, really mellow. She's singing very softly. And then, boom, 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 she just ramps it up at the end. You just feel that she's like, come on, yeah. It's just that song, for whatever reason, just always touched that nerve for me. And every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, I just got to stop and listen. Because it's just, whatever it is, the last day of our acquaintance on that album, stellar. Just to name a few but that album was just like, are you kidding me? And she was everywhere. So that's why I say it was kind of sad when I was listening to it. I mean, what a, what a, we were blessed to have that talent. It's just so sad that, that she, she had to leave us. And it was, it's just heartbreaking. But the biggest the lesson here is if you need somebody, reach out, talk to somebody because there's, you, you got to do it. There's people out there who will listen. And I, I realize it's isolating out there sometimes, but you got to reach out because there are people there who want to listen. So that's what I was listening to when I was making this. I didn't mean, you know, bring it all down there, but listen to those albums, at least those two. I mean, she had a lot of other great stuff too, but those two, those first two are just 
to plowy. Just great. Well, that is it. My glass awaits. I'm thirsty. So cheers to you and to the movies. So until next time, be well, be good, and I'm gone. I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening to The Cinema Judge. (laughs) 